What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Your mileage may vary, but here's how I view it. Society's collective content arm is oversaturated. The one should never give up on their dreams of ascending to the top of this competitive industry. To do so, now more than ever, requires resonating with 100% authenticity or by being the squeakiest wheel prone to punch up at every turn. Once someone arrives at a place where they have a national platform, be it on ESPN or Fox Sports or any number of competitors, they enter into an unspoken agreement with the audience. They're allowed to be characters. They're allowed to be caricatures of themselves with the performance amped up for effect. They're allowed to be professional wrestlers on the microphone to elicit maximum response and engagement. If one divorces themselves from the entertainment, it's a profoundly stupid and silly ecosystem. And it's all fun and games until someone's feelings are actually hurt, which is happening with some regularity as the bits continue to go too far. In one corner, you have Russell Westbrook champing at the bit, daring Skip Bayless to ridicule his surname again. In the other, you have a 70-year-old man clearly working through some stuff, doing what he does best, which is be insufferable. In one corner, you have Draymond Green trying to change the world with a new media plan that's dreadfully undercooked. In the other, you have Kendrick Perkins boiling with righteous anger after being the target of a slur. Somewhere in the middle there, you have Bristol and Colin Coward. Now, transparency requires this admission. Lowly sports blogs like this one bask warmly in the interest and traffic generated by these media beefs. They are a rising tide that lift distant boats as far as the nearest estuary. If they were to go away, it'd be bad for our business. Yet they probably should. Or, at the very least, the rhetoric should be dialed down before the ecosystem gets out of hand for good. My global brain solution? Everyone involved in the athlete versus content creator rivalry needs to chill out just a little bit.
It's so simple that it could work. We don't actually need these escalations because they will only grow more severe and more damaging. Worse, the incentive structure will shift to reward the most combative hyperbolic discourse. It happened in the political sphere and it is now hopelessly irreversible. It's closer to happening in the sporting world than most people realize. And that process can be fast-tracked if Green's new media venture continues to overstep boundaries. Make no mistake, the Perkins Green solvos were harmless until they weren't. Fresh off his fourth NBA crown, the Golden State Warriors' heart and soul needlessly fired a slur. It was shockingly over the line, and volume should not escape scrutiny for publishing it, promoting it, and then declining an opportunity to stand behind it. Perkins' rebuttal was understandable but not the type of thing legacy employers are going to enjoy being associated with. I'm told that Perkins received strong support internally, even though he eventually took the post down. Make no mistake, Bayless is a habitual line stepper. When he discovers something bothers one of his targets, he doubles down. He's interested in two things, waking up extremely early and hating all the live long day. And guess what? He's already woken up. Westbrook's desire to not have his last name ridiculed is a small concession to make, and yet we all know that the Westbricks will continue until morale declines or ratings improve. Any number of savvy observers can give you reasons to why sports media, and sports shouting in particular, have gone down this route. Anyone paying attention can feel pretty confident that there won't be a detour. Yet if there could be a moment for a collective breath and de-escalation, there could be a realization that all of this is performative even if it leads to actual hurt feelings and bad blood. The take-a-sphere has become so competitive that the top end treats any given Tuesday like it's game seven of the NBA Finals, and their frigid studios like the actual hardwood. This may sound reductive and obvious, but it's not. It's people sharing their opinions about basketball. The actual stakes are, in reality, laughably low. Sports are supposed to be fun, and the consumption of the ancillary content around them would also, in an ideal world, be a breezy diversion. It's worth asking if anyone involved in this rising of tension is actually having fun. A certain rubbernecking faction of the audience may be, but a larger portion is growing tired of everyone being a heel. More importantly, the human beings tasked with being larger than life are too often finding spillage into their regular lives and real emotions. Is it too late for everyone to just chill out a bit before things get worse? Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. It is that time of week. It is Tuesday morning. I am still flying high from what I am deeming one of the best victories in my five years with the Cubs. On Sunday, we played the Braves and the winner would have both bragging rights and supremacy in the standings as the playoff picture tightens, gets more competitive. We were out at Belknap, and let me tell you, this game was everything the league aspires to be. Great pitching, clutch hitting, a few mistakes mixed in, back and forth, occasional tension, great baseball, exciting, a wonderful experience for all, but especially us because we were able to overcome some adversity and pick up our seventh win in nine tries this year by outlasting the Braves five to three. And I said it in the dugout afterwards. This was the most fun I've had in a long time. 
all credit to the Braves who have come into this season and competed and look to be in the driver's seat to secure one of those two spots that give the buy in the playoffs. They started a pitcher, Sean Hui. And let me tell you about this guy. He's awesome. It's as simple as that. I don't want to see him ever again, especially not in the playoffs. The Braves are known for their talent coming from Hope College. And per, there is perhaps no more talented player in the league than Sean Hui because he was the MIAA player of the year. He went 9-0. and He was the MVP of the league. He was virtually unhittable for the first six innings against us, amassing 11 strikeouts. The bats were silent. I was not in the lineup, but I do not begrudge our hitters for going up there and failing to find safe harbor at first base or reach second because he was dominant. I, on the other hand, started and allowed half of Grand Rapids to reach base, either by bloop singles, hard hit singles, or the occasional infield error. We were up against it from the get-go. I can't remember a game in which I have faced more pressure where there's been more traffic on the bases, where every single pitch needed to be delivered with purpose and excellence. And somehow against long odds, I escaped jams in the first, jams in the second, jams in the third, jams in the fourth, only allowing two unearned runs. But for a time that looked like that would be all the Braves needed because the Cubs we're on a collision course with a shutout. It reminded me of the first game of the season where the bats went silent against the A's. I pitched pretty good, but found myself on the losing end. But finally, in the sixth inning, with a great bunt from Ariel Sanchez, who has been not performing to the level that we all know he can perform this year, put his pride aside, laid one down. It was a tough play. He reached first. Mo. Abu, Rahim, whatever your last name is, I'm sorry. There's so many letters. You're my best friend, but I still don't know your last name. Work the walk. We benefited from some close calls on ball three and especially ball four, and we capitalized. A wild pitch, moved runners to second and thirds with two outs. AJ Kazban got down in the count, one and two, fouled off a few pitches and was able to put the ball in play via a ground ball to second base, which was mishandled, rolled into right field, and the game is two to two. Javi Sanchez, my manager, my rock, my inspiration, my salvation. We butted heads in the past. It was no different on Sunday as he informed me that my leash was incredibly short and that I would be getting pulled early if I allowed another base runner. And I allowed two in the fifth. The decision was made to bring in Sam, a new college pitcher from the bullpen in his first appearance with the Cubs. And this kid responded immediately and effectively by inducing a one, two, three double play to secure the score at two nothing to allow us an opportunity to fight back and stay in the game. We eventually tacked on runs in the seventh and in the ninth mostly through the free pass, although AJ picked up another opposite field single. I have to tell you, 
the amount of big hits that this guy has had kind of in the Miguel Cabrera school of just hitting a single to right field when it matters most has really begun to add up. He is a clutch player. It's as simple as that. And he is a playoff bat and he will be in the lineup in the playoffs because he puts the ball in play when it matters. A tape measure home run with the wind blowing out in the top of the ninth brought things to five to three. A freaky grounder took a bad hop and the tying run came to the plate. But Sam buckled down, got a ground ball, a couple strikeouts, and the Cubs walk away with a five to three win. And this was, as I said before, everything you want out of a recreational baseball league. It felt like the stakes were very high because in a lot of ways they were standings wise, but when you get a crisp, low scoring competitive game, it really makes you forget that you're just out there screwing around on a Sunday. It is the continuation of something that I've talked about on the podcast before the Cubs seem to be gelling at the right time. This year has not been a cakewalk by any means. There's been precious few laughers, very few blowouts as the league has gotten more and more competitive. I think for four straight weeks, we've been in 50-50 games where things could have gone the other way. We found a way to win them all. I am under the belief that that is going to benefit us long-term more than the 20 to nothings and provide us with the confidence we need in the playoffs because we are going to find ourselves in the same situation over and over and over again. And like I said before, don't want to face Sean again. I hope you got school that day or, or work or whatever happens. I mean, nothing against you, but I'm not so sure that we can beat that pitcher again. I'm not sure anybody can beat that pitcher again. If the defense backs him up and the Braves get some more runs, they hit the ball pretty well. For most of the game, there were a couple base running mistakes. We got an out at home. We got an out at third. This game very easily could have been seven to nothing and over. And by the third or fourth inning, we were lucky to win on one hand, but we deserved to win on the other because we stayed tough mentally. All in all, a fantastic experience, something I was very excited to talk about on this podcast. Uh, my teammates told me to do it myself because I was so excited, and that's where I am. I'm doing it myself. Actually, we have someone joining right now. Um, okay, we opened it up. We have, who do we have here? Joel, you're on the air. Can you hear me now? I sure can. Joining us now is go. Joel Slack, right fielder extraordinaire, the man who hit two home runs against the Marlins. Maple syrup. I've been calling him in the dugout, but never to his face. Joel, I just I just recorded the intro and I talked about how much fun Sunday was. I also said that I never want to see Sean Huey ever again on the mound because he was dominant. I talked about how on one hand we were lucky to win, but on the other, we deserve to win by responding and conjuring up that winning spirit that we've had the last four weeks. Are you still riding high from Sunday? And why was that game different than some of the other ones that we played in in our last four years in this league? You know, one of the big things that I always find, and I think you'd agree, is that we have a good amount of teams bring out their aces against us. And uh, that is definitely something that happened last week. Sean was an excellent pitcher. He took a 17-inch plate, and he expanded that thing, and he was getting 
just painted calls all day. Um, and he deserved every one of them. I will argue uh, balls and strikes when I feel appropriate, but he earned his zone. Um, but a lot of times this, that game on Sunday was just a lot of fun. Um, in the past, I would think that we, we get down early sometimes and we put ourselves in a hole and we were really able to battle back. Um, it was kind of apparent that he hadn't thrown a hundred pitches recently uh, because he did fall off kind of that third time through the order. But, uh, you know, a couple good timely hits and uh, we got lucky. We certainly did. I mean, there's no other way to say that. I think if that game plays out 10 times, we lose it eight. Uh, I never want to say this out loud, but I was talking to my dad uh, between innings and I was saying, you know, I think we can hold them to three or four runs in the long term, but I can't promise you that we're going to get three or even two. Um, it was a, it was a few that bunt by Ariel I mentioned was incredibly timely. Um, the walk to Mo, you talk about the strike zone. We got lucky on that one. And then the ground ball from AJ. And I was saying before that I think back to AJ's performance with this team in big moments in the playoffs. And it seems like he's got five or six clutch hits to right field that just kind of dunk in with two strikes. He seems to be a bat that we want up there when the moment's the biggest, because what he lacks in extra base power in recent years, he certainly more than makes up for in his ability to give a professional at bat and put the pressure on the defense. AJ has had some clutch timely hits this year, and I completely agree. But it goes back further than that. If you think about the playoffs, I can remember four or five that he's had. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He, um, he is a great anchor as our third hitter to drive in the runs that we need, um, especially with the top of our lineup doing the damage it's doing right now. So let's look big picture for the Cubs. We are now seven and two, and we're going to get through the other results and the standings as things have tightened and bunched up. But how would you assess our performance through the first nine games against years past? On one hand, it's been a struggle. And I think that there's obvious we're walking around. And I think that anybody with a brain and anybody who wants to be honest about what we have and what everybody else has knows that we're equally likely to lose in the first round of the playoffs or win the whole damn thing again. Um, but I think that our resolve this year has been something that we've lacked in recent years. And I think this trial by fire is going to be important for both us and other teams that constantly find themselves in 50, 50 games. And that's exciting for the league. It's going to make for a great playoff um, experience but it makes it so hard to predict, not just for the Cubs, a team that we know intimately, but all the other teams out there, because we'll get to these results in a second, but every single week seems to bring a surprise. And it's just a matter of who plays better during that nine innings of baseball. I completely agree. Um, there hasn't been since week two, and I will take week two with us against the Royals as a, uh, a show out for us. And they didn't have the, the right, team show up for them but there hasn't been a week that we've shown up to the park where I've said all right we are going to win this game it's going to be a cruise control and I don't think anybody in the league can say that anymore um, 
I would argue that our staff, obviously adding uh, Christian Flicky in, has been tremendous for us. I put you, him, um, up against anybody, as always. I mean, I've pitched one inning this year. I think AJ's pitched two innings. Mo's only pitched an inning. Last year, we were pitching three innings a week. So we got better. I think that our hitting, um, you know, top to bottom, we could put, we have 11 guys to choose from. And I think we could get the same result with all 11 guys out there. And this is a situation where I don't feel confident going into every week of every game that the Cubs are going to win this game and we're going to cruise control. I think the biggest thing to come out of the game on Sunday is Sam's performance. Um, you oh throw out for their first game and he throws four and two thirds. I mentioned the double play in my intro. That was really the play of the game. Uh, things could have easily been seven to nothing at any time during this game, but he did not look scared and he fired strike after strike. The key to this league is not walking people. He's not going to walk people. He kind of throws submarine. I caught him a little bit. It's not like he has breathtaking speed. It's not like he's this. 11 or 12 strikeouts per nine type guy, but he's kind of more a pitcher in my ilk where people will put the ball in play. Yes, but there was a tremendous amount of soft, soft contact and our defense did respond when it mattered in order to get outs. I think you throw him into the mix. If he's going to be a repeat regular, or if he's going to be available when the postseason comes and you throw him into a staff that includes me and Christian, who I think Christian will be our option when it comes to the games we absolutely have to win because he is both a lockdown guy and a guy who can get a lot of strikeouts. But Javi has at his disposal now three pitchers that I think you have ultimate confidence in. And then you just mentioned yourself. I mean, you have performed in the playoffs multiple times before. Mo is an option. Ariel can pitch. It's like having eight different people that can be out there. And I think the reason why the Cubs work so well, and it's been a common refrain from people who have been on this show before and conversations that we've had off air is I think that our secret is everybody is comfortable in their own role and accepts their own role. Because I think that there's a lot of good players on this baseball team. Almost all would start for most teams in the league but they happily accept their responsibilities, even if that's one in bat, if that's a defensive replacement, in your case, not pitching as much as you would like to. But I think that that makes it ultimately more rewarding and makes us stronger. And I have to say, being part of teams before, it's not always the case. I think our chemistry and our lack of ego is something that really drives us um, to get where we're going. And it's something that we're going to have to continue to use this year. And I think as you look long-term for our team for years to come, we're going to get more talent. Players who have major roles right now might find them reduced. But I think that ultimately the thing we want to do most more than anything is be holding that trophy at the end of the year. That is definitely the goal. And uh, just to contradict you, I am happy not pitching. Um, as much as I enjoy doing so, um, the second that Flicky walked onto the field and he was playing for us this year, I looked at Javi and I said, he can have all of my innings. 
give me a bat. Let me hit. Let me do my thing. If we're down big, I'll go in and pitch. I'll eat up innings where we need to. Um, I'll put myself in a position. If in the playoffs you need three outs, I'll do it. But I am happy to uh, yield those innings to someone that is doing better and consistently dominating the way he is. Yeah, it's, it's no question. And I feel the same way, even as someone who starts a majority of these games, uh, when we have to win, we have to win. Let's look around the IBLWM in week nine and go through some results. A few surprising ones right here. The power beat the White Sox. The White Sox are a playoff contending team. The power win again. They are now three and six, and they actually have the tiebreaker over the Marlins, and they're a game behind the White Sox. So if they can play, wow! If they can, they, there's a very real chance that they can catch the White Sox. There's a very real chance that they could catch the Braves if the Hope Kids are less involved in the mix going down the stretch. The Pirates beat the Tigers seven to one to pick up their second win of the year and keep the Tigers in the cellar. The big one right here, the Padres, who we all can't wait to see because we need to figure out what the hell's going on with them. They took down the A's six to four. I was doing some recon and I discovered that they have a pitcher who kind of throws a knuckle curve, a sinker, tremendously effective to keep the A's to only four runs. That actually moves the Padres over the A's and into possession of the fourth spot in the league. The Cardinals continued to roll by pasting the Reds 18 to five. I was talking to Anselmi. He said that they had a player that hit five doubles. I hope that guy doesn't show up again because he sounds like a problem. The Mariners double up the Marlins 18 to nine to stay hot. The Marlins are in free fall. They're in real trouble. And as I mentioned, we won five to three. Which one of those results shocked you the most the most shocking to me um has to be the power over the white Sox. we played the white Sox tough they came at us with all cylinders firing and we got a good win out of that game um but uh we played the power and i think when we played the power we all agreed that uh they were definitely capable of winning games in this league and they have proven it now um is that three in a row for them i think it is yeah, they're on a bit of a run and wins against quality teams. I mean, they beat the White Sox, yeah. and they beat the Marlins in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, it's um, it's proving, as I said earlier, this league has gotten so much better this year. And every year, you and I talk on the bench and we say, hey, yeah, these guys are doing well. Hey, that, that pitcher did well today. Hey, that third baseman's killing it. And we're looking at these games now going, wow, those four guys all got way better last year and wow where did they find that pitcher from um it's really great to see it's good to see the competitive nature coming out but i think too it's going to be the wake-up call and a lot of these teams look at this i know that they're listening right now you can't sleep on any of these teams whether you saw what the score was and well we beat so and so and they beat so and so so we should roll today it's not happening anymore Yeah. And so much of it depends on the roster that's out there week to week. It can fluctuate and vary greatly. Let's look at the standings and I'm excited to dive into these because they are certainly not what I would have projected at the beginning of the year. Atop the league is the cards at eight and one 
The Mariners are at seven and two. We are at seven and two. Now, after the 4th of July, we play the Mariners. That game will be for second place. It will be massive. 10 a.m. at Sullivan. The Padres, as I mentioned, have the tiebreaker over the A's by winning. So they are in the fourth spot. The A's move all the way down to fifth, but I wouldn't be shocked if they finish in the top two. The Braves at five and four, we certainly see what they're capable of with that type of pitching. The White Sox at four and five need to respond. The power now at three and six are players if they continue to stay hot. The Marlins at three and six are going the opposite direction. They pretty much need to win out. They can maybe afford one more loss down the stretch. I would say that's kind of the most shocking team result of the year because I thought that they were going to be in the playoffs. They still might be, but they've dug themselves a bit of a hole. The Pirates at two and seven, the Royals at two and seven, playing good baseball and capable of playing spoiler. And then the Tigers at one and eight, they played us tough. The bottom has moved up, but what I see right here is a really jam-packed scenario where I don't know how it's going to play out at all. Like, I think that if we went out, yes, we will get one of the two buys, which is what this is all about. But there's so little margin for error because if we were to lose to the Mariners next week, we could fall behind the A's. And then we have the Padres following that. So if we lose our next two games, we would be on the outside looking in. Maybe we'd be in that fifth spot or we could be tied for the top. So huge games coming up. If you had to say right now, if you could only pick two teams that were going to finish in a position where they could get the bye, who would they be? Based off of what I've seen um, right now, the Cardinals definitely in position to get the bye. Um, they are playing extremely solid baseball, top to bottom. They've fixed some of their defensive holes that have hurt them in the past, um, and it shows. Uh, and then uh, also those defensive players rake. Um, and then my number two team right now, um, I'm still going to stick with us. I think we have what's capable. Next uh, week after uh, the holiday here, that's going to determine it, I think, because the Mariners always play us tough. Um, we know each other way too well. Um, I like too many of those guys, but we are, uh, we're headed for a collision course. And I think that at least in terms of getting the seating into position, um, you know, the, the two, three, four matchup here are going to be the only teams that have a, a chance once the, the seating splits to really make a push for the buys. And, uh, a four loss team going up against uh, one or two with a shortened amount of teams to play. That's a, a big area to catch up to. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we will be splitting uh, in two after we go through the entire division 11 games and how that falls with the odd, even nature of how it's set up. Some teams are going to get screwed by that. Some teams are going to benefit but honestly, the thing that everybody can control is just don't lose baseball games, because if you lose a baseball game, there's any number of teams that are going to go out there and win on Sunday and put the pressure on you. I just I'm just looking at it right now. And if the playoffs ended today, we would all be disappointed because we paid for a full season. But 
The Cards and Mariners would have the buys. We would play the Braves in a 3-6 matchup against that pitcher that I would be sleepless about all week. And then the Padres and A's would play a winner-take-all game. And then after that, you would get matchups where maybe you would favor uh, if you were going to say that the if we win and the A's win as the lower seed, maybe if Vegas was putting lines on these things, the lower seeded team would be the favorite. So there's no telling what's going to go on. It'll be instructive over the next batch to kind of see who separates themselves. But I think I just have an earnest appreciation because it's fun to go out there and play with the pressure. And I know in years past that we've largely felt that we could skate. Uh, we did not have the impetus to secure a buy. I mean, we certainly wanted the number one seed uh, to stay away from some of the better teams in the league that could finish third. But just knowing that there's no margin for error, I think makes a better experience. And I think that it makes for more competitive baseball there's less screwing around. Now that's a downside because fewer people can get in the game because there's less garbage time per se, but it makes showing up to the ballpark. It makes every single week feel like a big game and it makes the stakes feel very real. Yeah. This, uh, this whole year is going to prove to be a, a big change of the guard. I think in terms of uh, competitive nature for what we're doing, I think it's going to probably open up the opportunity. I hope we don't lose any players from our team. I definitely know, you know, the ramblings of, Hey, I'm not getting the playing time. And if I can go play somewhere else, I will. Um, ultimately that will be good for the league um, to have more competitive. But uh, I, I already predict this year that we will see um, an upset. I hope we are not on the losing end of that uh, come playoff time. But I very much see that the potential for a uh, a four, five, six to make it all the way to the championship series. No yeah, questions asked. Yeah, and then even then we would probably look at it in retrospect and say that it wasn't much of an upset after all. Uh, in closing here, I've kind of been asking everybody who comes on to talk about their relationship with the league. I know that you started and you were initially a member of the Nationals, which had a good side. Um, that one year you guys were trending really well. I think that there was some inability to get the best players there at the most crucial part of the season. You were a force on that team. You were one of the best players on that team. And then you eventually came over to the Cubs and it's been a really good fit. But what do you get out of playing in this league every single Sunday and kind of what's your journey been like? Uh, you know, I've actually been waiting for this question. I'm excited to answer it. Um, my first shout out has to go to uh, Lendy. Um, I doubt Lendy remembers this, but about eight or nine years ago, right when I had moved to Grand Rapids, I was over at the dog park and I saw a bunch of guys playing baseball. And I just walked up and I said, hey, uh, how do I play in this league? And uh, I talked to Lendy and he said, yeah, man, you just, uh, you know, you come out, you play, we play every Sunday. And I said, well, here's my phone number. I'm a left-handed pitcher and I would love to play. And I never got a phone call back. And then three years later, the phone rang. One of my other friends called me and said, hey, there's this team that's starting up. It's going to be called the Nationals. I'll put you in contact with them. Um, and that's how I started playing with this league. 
So uh, again, big shout out to Lendy. Um, things work out the way they work. Um, made me uh, a lot happier when we won the championship against you a couple years ago. You know, it's always a humbling experience coming out to the park, getting to talk baseball with you guys. Um, you know, I've given up uh, and bless my girlfriend, given up uh, some vacation time here and there to make games happen. Um, I think that everybody in this league can point to a, a point in their life where they've said, nope, I got to make it to baseball this week um, because the team needs me. Um, and it, it just is a really good experience for anybody that comes out, I think, that we want to play ball. Thank goodness that West Michigan has the infrastructure in place and the players in place to do it. Because I thought when I finished college, there was no way I was ever going to play hardball again. And I think you hit on you hit on something big there, and it's the element and the aspect of being on a baseball team. And it's trite and it's corny, but I, I've said it before that there's nothing like being part of a team. Um, and I think that as you get older and you're an, and you're an adult, it takes on a different form as you talk about. I mean, part of it is responsibility, and I feel that. Myself, I mean, I have three kids. We have a very busy, we have a very busy social calendar. I will miss a handful of games every single year because I would like to preserve my marriage. Uh, God bless. But I think that I do feel this draw to be out there as someone who has needed a needed arm. I mean, pitching is such a commodity, and I there's been times in the past where you felt the same thing, where like, hey, if I'm not there we are really going to put ourselves at a disadvantage or we're going to put a ton of pressure on someone's plate. And if that goes sideways, maybe there isn't a secondary option. So you do feel that responsibility. You do feel that obligation, but it just means so much more when you win. And I think that it's so hard to replicate that in other elements of your life. Like you get it at your job, but your successes at your job just aren't nearly as fun and carefree as baseball. And I, I think for myself, like I intend to play baseball until I can't play it anymore. And if I don't play very much, I definitely want to be part of the bench in some sort of managerial role because it's just excellent to be around all these different personalities. If you look at this team that we've constructed, we all have divergent personalities. We all come from really different backgrounds, but it doesn't matter. I mean, once the game starts, we're all in it together and it's just such a like wholesome clean feeling that once you get a taste of, and once you get addicted to like the prospect of giving it up is kind of like scary and depressing. So I never want to get to a place where I have to confront that reality. And that's the best part about baseball is that as long as you can keep playing, you get to be a kid. The timeless art of staying young. All right. That's Joel Slack with a celebrity call in. Um, maybe not from a landline. It sounds like you're in a hot car someplace. Uh, I really appreciate your insights. Sunday was a hell of a lot of fun. We have a week to barbecue, light off fireworks. Don't lose a finger because we're going to need all our digits going down the stretch. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.